I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Stompcast with me, Dr. Alex George. This is the podcast where I go for a walk with a guest to take a little wander into their life. Before we start, a quick reminder to subscribe to Behind the Stomp on Apple Podcasts. We get all three parts at once instead of having to wait, as well as an exclusive bonus episode each week, which is Dr. Alex's Diaries, and of course, the Behind the Stomp episode too. Anyway, let's get on with this week's episode, and thank you for supporting us. This week, I'm stomping with the men behind Three Dads Walking. Mike, Andy, and Tim are three fathers who tragically lost their daughters to suicide. In memory of Beth, Sophie, and Emily, the three dads were compelled to raise money and awareness for suicide in young people. They first decided to walk 300 miles between their homes and the following year, 600 miles between all four UK parliaments. They hoped to raise 9,000 pounds, which would be absolutely amazing, but ended up raising over 1 million pounds for charity, as well as raising awareness of the biggest killer of under 35s in the UK, which is suicide. I'm really looking forward to this walk with Mike, Andy and Tim today. They're incredible people with an incredible purpose. What I will say is this episode will of course be triggering for a lot of people. We're going to be talking about suicide, thoughts of suicide and just really, let's be honest, quite a tough subject. So just a little warning to those listening. You know, there's support out there. We'll leave support in the show notes. I hope that you will be able to listen, however, because this conversation is important and powerful. And in fact, While recording, we had someone walk and stumble upon us who'd just tragically been touched by suicide just the night before. It's a powerful episode. Stick with us. I have uh, the three dads walking with me and they have their wonderful flags with them, which is brilliant. We are about to enter a bush. So if you get kind of stuck, we can, uh, we can help you out to get kind of tangled in the, in the nettles. Listen, I'm really, really excited to have you three uh, on, the, on the stomp cast. I've you know, followed your journey and what you've done um, over the last few years. And it's, well, it's absolutely incredible. The work that you've done um, on suicide prevention, you've raised a huge amount of money, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But also I think you've brought the kind of conversation home and I think touched the hearts of so many people in this country. Now, we're going to delve into so much within this, not least the fact that you're doing so much in the political space as well, some great work around suicide prevention. But I'd like to start actually to hear, you know, your stories, because often when people ask about, say, fear and losing my brother, they say, you know, oh God, that's so difficult what's happened and they're very kind. But perhaps we, we don't always hear about the stories and the people behind what's happened. So first of all, I'd love it if you guys could introduce yourselves and say a little bit about your family, your your lives and your daughters and what kind of people they were. So I'll start with you, Tim, first. Thanks very much. It's lovely to be here and thank you for inviting us on this beautiful day into the Peak District. So I'm Tim. Uh, Emily was my daughter. She was 19 when she took her own life. We live in Norfolk, normal family. Uh, She's got a brother and two sisters. and 
she'd grown up and there's always been something slightly different about em she could be absolutely so funny so life and soul of the party but then other times her mood could swing quite badly and she uh she could get herself into we just thought it was the terrible twos and then we asked for help and didn't really get much anyhow she kind of grew up and she got into a bit of a crisis between the age of 13 and 15. We didn't know exactly what was going on. We sought help and eventually we had a, we went to the National Autistic Society. We were recommended to have a, an assessment by a friend and they diagnosed Em with high functioning autism at the age of 15, which at the time was probably quite devastating for Em, but at least it meant that we knew what we got to deal with and we as a family you know bought every book we could find on high functioning autism and she learned to kind of rebuild a life at the age of 15 she got some GCSEs uh, she went then on to college then on to art college she was a fantastic artist absolutely fantastic artist and then she wanted to do a bit of fitness training so she did a personal training apprenticeship and then uh, she was working out what she wanted to do as the pandemic hit but she was working in our village pub our community pub and she was the absolute life and soul of the party in there. When I used to go in with my friends on a Thursday night, you'd see her holding court behind the bar, being kind to everyone and just being a really sociable person. And then the pandemic hit, or, and literally the week before the Prime Minister announced lockdown, we start to cough in the house, and Em's agitated. We don't realise how agitated she is. And uh, we tell Em she's got to isolate as part of us as a, you know, as a family. And she, uh, she was out at the time and she kind of kicked off a little bit, then phoned us back straight away and said, right, I'll go shopping for you in Tesco's. And uh, she went and did a Tesco shop. And while she was doing that, there was an older couple and uh, she, she was doing a Tesco shop for us because we were going into lockdown. We hadn't got enough food in the house. And this older couple berated her at the checkout, this 19-year-old having so much food in her, uh, her trolley and didn't give her any, an opportunity to explain. And she, uh, she got back home I'd had to transfer some money because as Em always had, she hadn't got enough money to pay for it while she was going around the shops. She got back home and she was quite cut up about that. This old couple, how could they be so unkind to her? Anyhow, lockdown on the Monday, Tuesday was absolutely fine watching Disney films with us. And then on the Wednesday morning, she woke up really, really agitated, wanted to go out. There were three things that really helped with her autism. Going out to the pub, i.e. to work in the pub, her job. Social side. Social side to give her some money which meant she could go to the gym. She loved going to the gym and she loved just kind of, the exercise was brilliant for her. And then she loved bombing around the, the lanes in Norfolk in a little red mini. And on the morning she tried to take her own life. She asked us, can I go up to the beach with the dog? And we said, no, you can't. And she, uh, she literally slammed the door behind her, the front door behind her. And we found her 15 minutes later under our noses. And, uh, Awful, awful yeah, it was just so that's we she went into critical care. She was in critical care for five days. While she was in there, they said she'd signed the organ donation register when she was 12. And that really in that absolute bleakness and devastation and knowing you're going to lose your daughter to know that she wanted to donate her organs uh, was a tiniest, tiniest pinprick of light. Anyhow, we held her as she as they turned off the life support on the Sunday. And then just organ donation happened and that was it. We disappeared. It was, it was just, you know, horrendous devastation. Didn't know which way to go. And then it was, the devastation was made more worse 
simply by the start of lockdown the following night, uh, the following day with the Prime Minister. There were six people at a funeral. It was just rubbish and we were just, as both Andy and my word, and you, you know you were, when you lose a loved one to suicide, just devastation doesn't describe it. And that's it. And then we're just, we're sharing mics um, just because we have, we had four mics and one of them did uh, play up. So if you hear us a little bit distance in between, that's, that's why. But first of all, I'm so sorry for your loss. I mean, it's just, it's, it really, every time, and it's odd to say it, I guess, because as a family, we were struck, struck by it. Um, you know, it's not my child. I think it's awful enough to be a sibling, to be a parent, I can't imagine. Um, but to hear, hear the story, and I've had lots of people share their stories with me that are similar and each time it, it really hits hard doesn't it yeah, so it I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry and it, it's that was the cruelty of that time is that lockdown right and, mm. uh, and I remember like with, with Cleo like yeah it was, it was like yeah you've got this you know 19 year old with loads of friends and family no one can come 12 um, people I think was I think it was something like that at that point uh, all the chairs separated by uh, two meters there was a real cruelty about yeah. it all and similarly with my brother I think the lockdown it just, he went from being someone who's excited to go to med school to, to what happened. So it's just so difficult. I mean, how, how did you even begin to deal with that at that point? You're going into lockdown. You're going into already what is a scary and unknown time. How, as a family, do you even begin to face that? As a family, it was the most difficult thing we've ever, ever done. And I, have, I hope to never, it's just horrendous for any family to go through it, you know, and you've tragically been through it as well. Just existing, just breathing, just making, getting up every morning was the biggest effort that I've ever known in, in my entire life. And I'd read a, a book and seen a, a presentation by an admiral, Admiral William McRaven, bless him, who's a retired US Navy SEAL. And he talks about going through hard times in his life. And he said, the one thing you do, first thing you do in the morning, if you make your bed in the morning, get up, make your bed, no matter how bad you feel, at least if you do nothing else for the rest of the day, when you go to bed that evening, you will have done something positive. And I tell you, that's exactly what I did. I made my bed, I made the kids' beds, and that was the only way I could get through life. There was so little support out there because of the pandemic. The support that was out there from friends and family was all at arm's reach. You know, you couldn't have grandparents or brothers, my brothers, sorry, my sisters or anything to come to support. So holding it together as a dad, holding the family together as a dad was horrendously difficult in those first few weeks yeah you know that um, um admiral general you're yeah. talking about i think he's probably saved a lot of lives i think for us as well we were kind of that's exactly the same thing it's like just be able to open the curtain i think was the first um kind, kind of step you know at, at that time and you know we're going to reflect upon your journey because well excuse the pun we're literally obviously out walking now but we'll reflect upon that journey from that day but i guess even looking back now does it does it feel like it was you or is it like a past horror movie? Is it kind of looking back and thinking, because I wonder sometimes whether, do you believe that it was you at that time? Does that make sense? I'd never, I'd never thought of that, but I can't believe looking back that we actually got through it, that we knew what to do mm. and we didn't know what to do, but it was just absolute coping and just crying with each other and just trying to carry on with normality, knowing you've got to feed the kids. Like you say, open the curtains, make the bed, feed the kids. We had other people go out shopping for us in between M dying and a funeral because we were so petrified of getting COVID and then missing her funeral because we've got COVID. To, uh, it was just absolutely uh, horrendous in those first few weeks. What, did you find that people pulled around you? Oh, ma massively. When that two-week period, two-and-a-half-week period before Em's funeral, friends from our village, colleagues from work, 
all went and did our shopping for us. They got, it was my eldest daughter's birthday uh, a few days after Em died, so they went and got her presents for us, a box of chocolates, a note, a token. But the love and support that we had from our friends and family was, uh, was fantastic. And there was another thing that we did when Em tried to take her own life myself and my eldest daughter so we've got we had all the world's ambulances and police cars come to our house and on facebook we put some stuff out just to say what well, em's attempted to take her own life she's in critical care and because we were so upfront with it we couldn't hide it because there'd been so many blue lights come to our house and rather than have you know conjecture and gossip right that's the facts and then when she died we did exactly the same and we as a family and I definitely reached out for help from wherever I wasn't too ashamed to to reach out for help um, I've actually never said this before but one of the the policemen that actually first came to the house my dad is a retired policeman and he knew the police service that came but one of the policemen that came to the house was a young man a young a young man really and he was in the year below me at school and he knew exactly whose house it was and you know it was the same thing with our family it was kind of like everyone immediately knew something really terrible has happened and you have this much pressure, don't you, to, yeah. to, to, to say something. And I met a dad a little bit later. It was at the end of our first walk, and he'd lost his 14-year-old mm. son uh, during our first walk. And he was, uh, he'd been, he, he, he had... Last night. Sorry? Mate, Mike killed himself last night. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Sorry, mate. Oh. Senior thing. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Shit, yeah. It's not the first, it's the third. Really? Yeah. Uh, we're, we're just um, recording, my name's Alex, um, right. recording a podcast and called yeah. the Stompcast and yeah, we're kind of, we're walking because I lost my brother uh, to suicide a few years ago and so these gentlemen have all lost um, daughters to, to suicide and stuff but um, gosh, it's just the day after such a shock. Are you, who are you walking with? My wife and, uh, and one of my school friends. So when did you find out? Is that this morning. Uh, this morning. The last thing, because he last thing, last message I got from him was asking to come to my wedding. Just never got back to him. That's the next oh, thing you hear is that. That's this one. Oh. Yeah. But, but sadly, it's the story we're hearing all the time at the moment. Well, when I was yeah. 15, they had me in a hospital bed expecting me to die. So I know first-hand yeah. mental health issues. Or, yeah, I was prescribed yeah. things for sleeping. I was anxiety, depression, isolation. And when I was yeah. 15, I sat on a park bench and took all the pills the doctor gave me. Went home and then tried to make myself sick. Mm. So that's probably a bad idea. Mum came home and said, what are you doing? I said, I'll oh, just make myself sick. And uh, I don't really remember much more. And they, they thought I was going to die. They had me in a hospital bed. But I didn't I, die. But, you but, but you're here. But, but yeah. you, know, you, you have a wife now. And it, 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 is that not hope? You know, yeah, absolutely. You, you, you've absolutely. been in that position, but you want to live now. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're, we're so sorry to hear about your friend. But I understand know. how people get there. Yeah. I had a text from a consultant so I worked as a doctor and I had a text from um, my consultant the next day which really helped me and it, I don't know um, he said um, life throws us into the deep end at times however with the help of family and friends we overcome even the most seemingly insurmountable challenges yeah. and I know I've, that's like ingrained into my brain because at the time you think I can't get through this yeah. but you know I guess I hope uh, we can all yeah. say that you know it's going to be a shit times fucking shit it's awful yeah. feel your feel but stick with your family and stuff like that stay close yeah. to them share and reach uh, out for help um, there's great organisations yeah. like Bapras that do work. Yeah. Um, the Samaritans, that's all yeah, you've got your card. Connections oh. with people is the work. And, to, and really talk to get yeah. professionals, yeah. talk that, to professionals about it. it. Links you through to Papyrus as well, the charity. Uh -huh. It's a suicide prevention charity. But, which... but for yourself and 
your friends, family and whatever, it's worth just phoning their helpline as well. Yeah. Their helpline 24. Because they, they will give like post-suicide advice and debriefing and things like that. That's hugely important because we don't want the wheel to go round again. Because right. it, it affects you hugely now, yeah. you know, just as a friend. Yeah, but look after yourself. Make space. Feel it, but really feel your feels. I think you know, I feel that, um, especially as men, we often just try and come on, get on with it, carry on, and then you, you find that eventually it does cap up, catch up with you. You have to feel the pain. It's going to hurt. You'll be in shock. It's going to be hurt. And you just can't hide from that. And, and the voice of alcohol, you, yeah. I've definitely used that badly in the past. It's just, yeah, avoid that stuff. You've got to feel it, I think. And the pain comes to you. Uh, all sorts of, I was my eldest daughter wedding on Saturday. And uh, yeah, in the middle of that, my wife broke down just hearing because all the groomsmen, the bridesmaids, the maid of honour all knew my daughter. Mm -hmm. They used to go on holiday together. And to hear like the, the maid of honour say, it shouldn't have been me here, it should have been your sister. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah, just, sometimes it just gets to you. So yeah. just get help, just bloody yeah, get right. help. I mean, we can also just say, I mean, we, we've been, we're just recording a podcast. We can completely remove this section if you want us to, but if you want, do you want to keep it there? If it's useful to people, they can listen to my story. Absolutely. I think it just shows, Thank you, you know, us. where you can be anywhere in the world, anywhere. Like, you know, I'm based in London. We're all from different parts of the country. You come to a place and within five minutes of starting, someone's been touched by suicide in their life. So I think if there's any more powerful message that we've got work to do, I think this is it, isn't it? It's connections. If, if people feel they can connect to other people, that, it's isolation that, that, that makes yeah. people find themselves in that space and just if you're always open to, to people, you never know if you're going to save someone or not. Exactly. You just don't know. But if your door's open to people and people can connect and, and feel loved, then the chances of people ending up in that space is, is greatly diminished. Or if they're in that space and they feel they can actually talk to someone, then it can, can make the difference. I know it sounds um, crazy to say, but even in, you know, you, you've, you'll have helped someone, no doubt, listening oh, to this yeah. immediately, and yeah. you've saved someone's Absolutely. life immediately yeah. by sharing what you've shared now. How old was your mate? About 35. Uh, what was his name? Casper. 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 Well, love to Casper yeah. and his family and all your friends, and we're sorry for your loss. He's a bit older than that, actually. God, time, time flies. Yeah. Yeah. You're in shock yeah, right now. Yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah, you're doing yeah, well yeah, to doors, remember. Same. Give you a hug. It means a lot for you no, to stop Mike. and talk. Yeah. And I'm it's an incredibly brave thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. You look after yourself. Cheers, mate. We're so sorry, but it's amazing to meet you. It means so much, you know, that, yeah, that you talk as well. Yeah, someone's yeah. calling me, that'd be my mate. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. You're talking Have you been those... kidnapped? Yeah. <laughs> Take care of yourself now. Take it easy. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you very much. For no, no, look, take it no, no, no. Sorry no. we had to meet you. But... Well, yeah. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, there you go. Wow, that's, uh, yeah, yeah. I, it's, uh, I, I've had, um, you must have exactly the same, but over the last few years, you have people kind of approach you and talk about things and, yeah, I mean, there you go. There's a case and example, isn't it, really? In five minutes, someone shared, and it's just immediacy of his life will be, you know, these things happen. It's not like you can't live happiness again. You can't have a purposeful, meaningful life, but that will carry you the rest of your life. with you for the rest of your life. You know, we're all aware of it, right? It's part of our lives, the rest of your life. And, you know, that, that'll be part of his life now. Yeah, it's how he uses it. And, you, you know, we'll talk, but when we did the walks, that was a daily occurrence. Yeah, absolutely. Suicide bereaved people coming up yeah. and just going, we didn't know that suicide was the biggest killer of under 35s in the UK. We had no idea that 200 school children took their lives every year. And these are mums, yeah. dads, brothers, sisters, just like that. That's every it. every uh, one that help, not helps, but really cones in mind, every three days a student at uh, a university takes their own life. You know, think of a university, it's not even that many universities, every three days, I know, gone. I know, it's horrible. Isn't, isn't that proof, isn't that the result that we need to invest yeah. more in our young people's yeah. mental health? Because if they're going to universities with a ruckload of academic qualifications, yet not the life skills yeah. to keep themselves safe and thrive, it's uh, something's something needs to be done. Well, I might bring you in at that point. Um, you know, to say, you know, to hear about Em and uh, and her life. You know, thank you for sharing because I think it's really important for us to hear about the people that, that matter to us the, the most. So, yeah, like I'd love you to come in and just share really your story, please. I'd love to hear a little bit about your daughter. Um, Tim shared about Em. I'd wonder if you could hear a bit about Beth and her life and, yeah, what what the fa- what family was to you. Um, just love to hear a little kind of insight, I guess. Bethy was uh, the youngest of my three daughters. Beth was uh, training to be a vocal artist. She was just 17 years old. She was going to Access College in Manchester. She was absolutely smashing it. Beautiful voice, she was very talented. She could dance, as I say, sing. She basically belonged on stage. Razor sharp wit, very loving little girl. She was that little girl. Used to sit on my shoulders, used to hold my hand. You know, and basically say, Dad, I love you, no matter how cheeky she was. Yeah. But to think she fell into such despair, she felt as though she had to take her own life, is uh, still now, as we touched on before, it's almost surreal. It's almost as if, in uh, some ways, it didn't happen. But we never saw the signs with Beth. Mm. Beth was there w- one minute and gone the next. Mm. She, did, she wasn't referred to any, for any mental health issues, anything like that. But lockdown, we lost Beth there. Uh, about six days after Tim lost Emily. So we're in different parts of the country. But yes, she was there one minute, but we do think lockdown had a lot to do with her decision. She saw maybe she had been going through a slightly rough period of, uh, you know, poor mental health. Mm. You know, her coping mechanisms were gone. Her gigs were cancelled. She could see her birthday being cancelled. She could see her social life with her friends being cancelled. You know, she could see just having to spend the rest of her time in her bedroom, you know, th- this is what she saw. We were working hard, we didn't know what lockdown meant, you know, but, you know, it's possible Beth was a uh, victim of herself, just making a teenage decision, you know, but we do believe maybe if she'd been more aware, and certainly we'd been more aware, we might have picked up some signs. Do you think some of it is um, perspective? I often look back to when I was younger and the things that appear insurmountable, to use kind of that word that, it's really stuck with me, but challenges that seem insurmountable. When you're old, you look back with perspective and they feel more that you can deal with them. And it feels a little bit like sometimes with young people, they, because they haven't been through that, they think, yeah, this, I can't yeah, get past yeah. this. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's sort of, uh, now I reached my 58th year, you, you know that, you know, life goes up and down. But we know sometimes that despair is temporary despair. And things, you know, you have bad times, you have good times. That's life. But surely we go back to maybe building more resilience with our young people. And I think that has to happen in schools all through early years, primary school, secondary school. You know, we, we are, as you'll cover in a bit, that suicide prevention should be a permanent aspect of the RSHG school's curriculum. You know, but we need to work on other life skills as well. You know, just enjoying the outdoors, money, social media. There's lots of things. There's so many things that we could build on you know our children are the most precious things in our life we need to invest in them well so much of what i mean i travel around the whole uk and i've been to southern ireland several times visited so many schools spoke to parents and it doesn't very much vary that much the most parents what they want is their children to come grow up being happy healthy and generally resilient to have opportunity in life but also have the health and happiness and often the school system and i'm not at all knocking the hard work the teachers do or anything like that at all but the structure of it all feels so academically focused the things that are like i mean i left school you got, didn't know understand what what the hell is uh, isa what's a mortgage what the hell is national insurance and all these different kind of things that, like finance number one cause of anxiety in adults is finances do we learn anything about that at school I, yeah so it's kind of there's so much within suicide prevention that like People just think about suicide prevention as talking about suicide, which it is, of course it is, but so much of it is working on the things that might contribute as well, right? And that's why we're going to come back to you. You're, you're so passionate about that uh, with school. You worked in the in the, in the the fire service up until recently, is that yeah, right? Yeah, up until uh, March. Yeah, up until, up until March. March. Thank you for your, your work in, in the fire service. I mean, you'll have seen, I guess, some very difficult things. My dad worked in, in, in the police, but... It's, there's, not, there's nothing quite like when things hit at home in this way, is there? How did you try to deal with that in the immediacy? How as a family do you try and deal with something like this? You're right. No matter how much training I had within the fire service and the, the situations, the incidents I had to deal with, and, and, and there were many that were, you know, sort of involved, you know, people's lives. And you work hard, but I think you have a certain resilience there. But when it's so personal to you, when it's your little girl, no, it's a totally different angle. And it's, um, you know, I, I, I was suicidal after I lost Beth. That was the reason. I, I all from being a, I suppose, a stereotypical big, strong firefighter who dealt with things, who looked after his family, I was smashed into nothing. I couldn't even almost see my family reach out, you know, because I was just in such a lonely, desolate place. You know, but, but, th but this is the effects of suicide. You know, it, it totally changed my life. And I couldn't go back to work as the person I was before. I just basically didn't have it in me. And, you know, that's one reason why I finished. Do you think there is that thing of before and after? Is that, do you feel like there was, there was, there was you before, you after? That makes sense. Oh, 100%. Absolutely 100%. No, the, the world has totally changed. You know, I do get some positivity out of, out of it now, you know, seeing my family bravely battle on, but seeing them have goals and want to carry on with life. But even spending time with these two, 
you know, but we're, we're, uh, we we believe in what we're doing. You know, it, it is. I said that as a compliment. Again, you guys are giving each other so much banter before we started walking. I think that's the first compliment of the day. Oh, there's jokes about the there's belly slapping going on. There's so, taking a look out of socks being forgotten. Map direction skills. Uh, we had a fair bit, so you can. T- there's plenty of banter amongst the three of you. I think that's fair to say. Well, we're, we're we're totally different. That's the thing. But we are totally different. Different parts of the country, but totally different individuals. Who lives in the best place? Oh. Oh, come oh, on. They're like this, mate. We've got hills, haven't we, Tim? We're going to start an argument now. Yeah, hills in North. But there's a decent hill here. We'll continue up this hill in a moment. Um, well, I want to say thank you for sharing about suicidality. I think people often um, find it very hard to share about times which they've been suicidal and moved past. So I guess for anyone listening, um, suicide is when you've taken your own life. Uh, suicidality often really refers to having dark thoughts of suicide, thinking about one's own ending, not necessarily having plans, but having those thoughts and I think a lot of people do get them not compared to the situation at all but people get them but people don't want to talk about them sometimes and you know I I, I was really quite bad with it about a year ago and then I stopped drinking I've been sorting my own health out and and things like that and really facing some of my own demons but it's it's horrible isn't it when you're kind of like yeah. you've lost yeah. a family member to it and then you're having these thoughts and I can't put anyone else through it yeah. but exactly. actually yeah. it doesn't make the thoughts any less no. deep and powerful does it no no it, it, it's, it's refocusing as well, I think, like, like you've just um, said there, you know, about stopping drinking and looking after your fitness and things like that. But with me as well, it was refocusing on my family. Well, you're having an incredible impact. I mean, even that young man that we've just seen there now, I mean, you know, you're having a huge impact and hopefully um, we shared some hope and love and amongst darkness, a little bit of light uh, Hopefully as well. Thank you for sharing uh, about that. And not, last not, but not least, of, of course. Um, yeah, wow. I mean, it's been, even in the kind of time we've been here, I know our part one has, has gone on a bit, but I, I think we... Uh, <laughs> Told but, it would take um, days. Uh, but don't, you're not getting any less time, don't worry, uh, at, at all. Uh, at all. We are looking back at over the hills and stuff like that and reflecting. I love walking because you have conversations like this and it's easier when you're outside in nature. Not that it's ever easy, but... Uh, do you know what I mean? Being outside and moving. Well, we, we were finding on the walks, we were joined by so many people, uh, a lot that have been touched by suicide, a lot of suicide bereaved parents, but a lot of people just wanted to come and walk with us and support us. And that process of, of moving through the countryside and walking side by side with somebody is very different to sitting at a table and looking across at each, in, to each other's eyes. You know, sometimes there would be moments of silence, but they didn't last very long because people wanted to speak, wanted to share, and, and actually walking and talking is, a, is an incredibly powerful way of actually allowing people to be open. It's a very safe space. Yeah. It's a very safe space. And I think because the three of us had been so open about our losses, um, the people who joined us were really, um, felt very comfortable actually opening up about their feelings. When so other people show vulnerability, it feels more like almost more permissible. You have more yeah. permission to actually share your own, don't you? And things. It feels like you can actually share. Yeah. Um, I found definitely even recording the stomp class been just over a year now. I found it incredibly therapeutic. I've you know, travelled around to hear other people's stories, but also you feel in yourself that that um, when other people open up, I find myself often sharing about things. Yeah. I go, I didn't even mean to come and talk about this, but no, I've no. I've opened up. I'd love to hear about your daughter, um, a little bit about her and uh, what she was like. Well, Sophie was the oldest of our three girls, so she was 29 and uh, working as a nurse up in Edinburgh, um, and Soph was just a, a fantastic lass, um, just really bright and bubbly. Um, I'd split up with her mum, George, when Soph was about four, 
um, and sort of went and lived with her, not that far away from us. But she spent a lot of time, uh, every week, she was in our house, stayed with us. Mm. And she was just a lovely little girl, um, blonde hair, big smile. Um, and because I think, well, she, she spent a lot of time with my parents, actually. They, they do a lot of childminding. And so they, she spent a lot of time around adults as a little one. So she was just massively sociable and, and was able to talk to anybody. Um, and then when she went through school, um, she was, yeah, just great, uh, really funny. Um, spent a lot of time outside with me. Um, I realised actually after Fiona and I, so my, my, uh, my second wife, when Fiona and I got together, I think she, one of the first things she said to me when Sophie had come round again and we went for another walk, she said, do you do anything else other than take her for a walk? And I thought, well, no, I don't. <laughs> why, why, why should we? We love walking on <laughs> yeah. the sun path. And so, so, so we used to spend a lot of time outside, yeah. walking and biking, running, both of us quite slowly, and skiing as well, you know, and... Just lovely, lovely, great relationship. And Sophie used to just take the piss out of me non-stop. Um, and she Preparation was... for these guys. <laughs> ah, yeah, she's easy. <laughs> yeah, well, well these, two, these two have met uh, uh, Sophie's brother, Gregor, who's now 23, and he behaves in exactly the same manner. People often say, what do you think, how do you think Sophie would, what would Sophie think about this? And it's like, oh, you want to listen to what he's saying? And because Gregor just takes the mickey, but then every now and again, he'll say, I'm really proud of you, Dad. Yeah. But just all the occasions. I mean, your families must be so proud. Yeah, they are. They must be. You know, we, we, all of us, all of us would rather not be here. We'd rather not be standing on this hill, Mamtor in uh, Derbyshire, talking mm. to you. Yeah. If you could wish this away, it'd Absolutely. be great. But, but we're here. And, um, you know, we didn't choose to come down this route. It was those, um, the decisions that our girls took that threw us into the, a strange world. And with, with Soph, she'd recently split up with her husband. Mm. Um, and it was her, her own choice. Um, and so we were worried about her, but we were worried about her being happy. That, you know, like we were saying before, as a parent, all you want is your child to be happy. And so that was in the autumn. And we were concerned, but it was obviously uh, Soph and uh, uh, Soph's mum, George, and I had split up when we were young. Loads of people we know were on the second time round. Hey, Mike. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. So, you know, it's, so it's not unusual. We know that shitty part life. of your life is not yeah. unusual. Um, so we were worried about her, but we weren't. We never saw her suicidal. Just didn't see it. Um, and then in the run into Christmas, she was due to come down. Uh, she would just be back in Kendall with her mum on the 20th, and she was spending Christmas with us uh, up near Penrith. And then on the night of the 19th, we got a message in our family WhatsApp group that just said, I love you all so much. Which wasn't unusual saying we love each other. That wasn't unusual, but the former words weren't right. It just wasn't right. And so I phoned her and just went to voicemail. Um, and before I could do anything else, George phoned me, her mum phoned me in absolute hysterics to say that he, she just had a call from Sam, so a strange husband, uh, saying he got the long text apologising for the mess that she'd made of his life. Um, encouraged him to crack on in many, many different ways and signed off by saying, please don't bury me. So, um, and in that, in that message, she told, told Sam where she was going to leave the car. And so the police were there within minutes, but by the time they found the car, she was, she'd gone. Mm. So our, oh God, that was awful. I mean, we had, she was missing for three days. We went up to Edinburgh 
for a couple of days, but realised we were just making ourselves, we were torturing ourselves, being anywhere near mm. the area while all these people were searching for us. So we came home and then on the third day, uh, December 22nd, we got a call to say that um, they'd found Sophie's body. A member of the public had found Sophie's body um, and they said that this chap had phoned the emergency services then sat with her until they turned up. Um, anyway, um, that was Christmas. <laughs> uh, so that afternoon we were in pieces, you know, it does shatter your lives, that's what we were talking about, the, the pain, you know, the, it's indescribable, indescribable. Um, when it comes out of the blue, your life's just trundling away. Um, tomorrow's going to be a similar day to today, and next week's going to be similar to last week, and, but then all of a sudden your world's broken, completely broken. Uh, that day, we, we talked a lot and we cried a lot, and... and we made a few decisions um, in that afternoon before we left the house. Uh, one was not, we couldn't be ashamed of what Sophie had done because it was her choice. We, we said to ourselves, we, we couldn't allow that to govern the rest of our lives, which is quite strange, standing here on a hill, but obviously we've chosen a, a particular way. But by that we meant we didn't want it to crush us. Uh, you know, Sophie wouldn't want our lives to be yeah. blighted, even though they are. Um, and um, we knew we had to talk about it. We knew we had to, to kind of let it out. Um, in hindsight, it was actually quite, um, quite surprising what we talked about that day. We also decided not to cancel Christmas as well, which was, in hindsight, was a really good decision mm. because it meant that the following Christmas, yeah. it wasn't yeah. the first yeah. one, as it were. Um, anyway, we got, through, we got through Christmas and uh, uh, in the process trying to organize a funeral um, and we looked around for suicide prevention charities. And uh, a friend of mine introduced us to Papyrus Prevention of Young Suicide, which we'd never heard of. And we looked at that, and you know, the first thing you see on their website is that message that uh, suicide's the biggest killer of under 35s in the UK. And I remember looking at that and thinking, that, that can't be right. Because if that was right, we'd be doing something about it. Shocking isn't when people first actually realise that fact. You think, well, yeah, it can't be right. That, it can't mean? be right. Yeah, why are we doing it? So anyway, that was where we got to. And then also over Christmas, um, we were talking to one of Soph's mates, Laura, because Soph and Laura had been training to run a half marathon in February. And Laura said she was going uh, to run it and she was going to do it to raise funds for Papyrus. And so we'd talked about uh, going across. It was actually to Northumberland to Bambra to support Laura. But quite quickly, it kind of came round to, now I'm gonna to have to go and run it. And as you can see, I'm built, completely built for running. <laughs> what are you two laughing at? These two. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit, speed. bit like Mo Farah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> speed of a short distance, that's fine. Yeah. That's a Lord of the Rings thing. The dwarf says that, I'm built yeah. speed over. No, yeah. no, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I wasn't saying that, I was. Yes, he was. Like, just uh, our, our, our journeys, our trips to Lord of the Rings. There we go, okay. Fine. We are kind of in a Lord of the Rings landscape yeah, we as well. Are. We are, yes. yeah. yeah. Oh. What are you, dwarf? Sit. Call me dwarf. No, uh, I, don't, I made the quote. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do with it. But, uh, <laughs> but so, so I thought, right, I'll run this with Laura because I've, I've done, I've, when I was younger, I did loads of that kind of thing. And so I went to enter the mar this run and found it was full. So I actually phoned the um, organisers 
explained the situation and they actually allowed me to run on Sophie's entry. And I must admit, I put the phone down and I thought, God, that's a great story, great human interest story. My, my, my background sales and marketing. So anything that gives you a hook is, a, is kind of a natural thing for me. And I thought I can do something with this. And so I did, um, actually started a, um, a training, video training diary under a hashtag run for Sophie. Uh, so if you look, if you Google run for Sophie, you'll get lots of videos of me being very sweaty with quite, with quite a lot of people doing lots of different things um, and raising money for papyrus. And through that, I raised around about £40,000 over about four or five months. Wow, it's a huge amount different things. Yeah, it was amazing. But the thing that I realised was the money, the money was the, was the byproduct that by opening up and by talking, you could see it was encouraging other people to, to talk. have those conversations, yeah. yeah. And, and reach out, you know, the number of people who've came back to me and said, we didn't know about papyrus, but you've allowed us to phone them. So, so they call it papyrus or papyrus, we pa don't mind. Papyrus. I'll have a message from the big boss. They're yeah, like, you've told right, us we'll how many you... times and you still call us that? Sorry. Yeah, we'll put your head on to it. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> and yeah, so that realisation and, and the fact that I'm not, are frightened of talking, you know, I'm into communication. And I thought, well, I can keep doing this. And so that's kind of where I got to, um, where Sophie's decision to take her own life has had a, it does, it has, it has a dramatic effect on, on where you end up going. You, you're not the same person afterwards that you were before. But when we've rebuilt our lives, I've ended up pointed down this, supporting this charity route. Um, and then when we came across, when we three came together, that uh, kind of turbocharged everything we were doing. Well, I think that is a probably a good point just to come to the end of part one because we're going to hear all about um, well what happened next between you three and the amazing what you've done raising over. I said one point two million, I think you said earlier. But it's not far off. A couple of quid, should we say, a fair yeah, few quid yeah. with, with <laughs> raised day, yeah. and yeah. and changed many yes, lives yeah. with with your stories have you seen and today. Um, I just want to say a huge thank you for sharing. I, that, that's really. I'm sure you told those stories many times, but um, it's never easy, <laughs> to say the least. So thank you so much for, for sharing. And for anyone listening, as we come to the end of uh, part one, as always, I'll leave the uh, links, including Papyrus of Papyrus, <laughs> at the bottom of the show notes um, uh, to check out. Also, I always tell people, check out the Hub of Hope as well. Depending on what part of the country you're in, you might be reaching out for different reasons. This might trigger thoughts in your head or, or, or you know, wants for support and uh, Hub of Hope is a brilliant place, an online directory, so check that out as, as well. See you all very soon in part two. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.